0: Hey everyone, Nate here. I just wanted to let you know ahead of time, we had a few audio issues when we recorded, and so I adjusted as best I could, but do not adjust your earbuds. That was us.
1: Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie! Bring me the big knife! I'm gonna cut my throat! Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chris, Chrissy, bring me the big knife!
2: I tell you, I won't do it!
3: I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm going to break my, going to break my rusty cage.
0: Hello and welcome to Cage Cast, the podcast that joyfully dissects the filmography of one of America's most unique and engaging leading men, Nicolas Cage. I'm Nate Porter and with me is Britt Porter. Hello
2: listeners, how are you? This fine evening, morning, midday. Pick your pick. We're, How are you? We're, we're good. Oh, and your tiny voiced as well. How are you? Oh, do you live inside a dollhouse? Is our entire body of listeners tiny miniatures?
0: That's really creepy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wonderful. <laughs> and now for the two of you that are left... Um... It's, it's just awful. Britt, why don't you tell them how CageCast works?
2: Well, for the two of you that are left, here's how CageCast works. We are in the process of watching every Nicolas Cage film in order according to the film's release date. We'll be reviewing every film in which Nicolas Cage had either a starring role or an integral supporting role. This week, we'll be watching the 1987 Oscar winner, Moonstruck.
0: Yes. Right. We will break down the film's plot and themes, and then afterward we will rate the film on a scale of zero to four stars in three different categories. The film as entertainment, the film as art, and then in terms of Cage's performance. Last time, our cumulative score for Raising Arizona was a whopping 19 out of 24 stars, which puts it squarely in first place as the best Nick Cage movie out of the six that we have viewed thus far. Will Moonstruck claim the top spot this week? Well, you'll have to listen and find out.
2: Indeed you will. Even I don't really know. So it's I, exciting for all of us. It may. Out in Radioland. It may not. As a reminder, we do not share our scores with each other before the show. We round out the show with our patented CageCast running totals rapid fire questionnaire. I didn't realize we took the time to patent that, but I'm glad we did.
0: That's right. Well, we sent it in a letter to ourselves. That's right. That's how it works. Good to know. Good.
2: For those of you interested in patenting. Hey, Britt. Yes?
0: Guess what? What? Cage News. All right, folks. Cage News. There's actually quite a bit of Cage News. First, we're going to start off with a mini trailer review of The Dying of the Light. Wait. Dying of the Light. So, pause this. Actually, you know what? I figured out how to put the audio of the trailer in the podcast. So do not pause this. Listen, close your eyes, make up your own visual stimuli to the audio, and we will be right back to discuss this new trailer for the next upcoming Nick Cage release.
1: CIA has taken some hits. But we're on our feet again because our country needs us and because we've got what? Values. Values. There is a concern that you could become a liability to the agency. I'm a liability? Who put you up to this? Huh? Who's got their hand in your pocket now? He does exist. There is a window here. It won't be open long, and B'nair will have gotten away with it. I am going to do something worth remembering.
0: We just finished the Dying of the Light trailer. Britt, what did you think?
2: I think it looks pretty awesome. What
0: about you? I think it looks pretty good. We see Cage in a few different uh, get-ups, with beard, without beard. The only thing that was throwing me off a little bit was that cut on his ear, which might be a character in and of itself. I couldn't take my eyes (laughs) off it.
2: Really? Because I noticed the shaky arm in the first...
0: Yeah, there's something wrong.
2: Well, there's always something. Oh.
0: I uh, I think I saw the cut on his ear jump from one side of his face to the other. Well... I'm going to have to go back and look, but yes. I think I already noticed some discontinuity.
2: There's a little bit of a controversy brewing around uh, this upcoming film.
0: Yeah, apparently about two months ago, Lionsgate Home Entertainment acquired the film and then basically took it away from the director and the executive producers. And Paul Schrader was the director. I think he... He, like, wrote Taxi Driver. The studio must not have liked what they were seeing in his cut, because they took it away from him, they re-edited it, they re-scored the movie, and he is pissed off. Instead of being able to speak ill of the film, he got himself, the executive producer, Nicholas Winding Refn, who has done some awesome movies himself, like Drive, most recently, they printed off t-shirts with the text of the non-disparagement clause printed on them, and then posted all those photos on social media to try to, without saying it, say, "Hey, uh, this new film sucks. It's not ours, but we can't tell you that." Right. The photo of Cage actually looks pretty badass.
2: <laughs> yeah, he does look pretty. He Looks angry. Yes, but not crazy.
0: No, no, he looks he looks he intense. looks simmering. Exactly.
2: Well, it looks a whole lot better than the movie Outcast does. That's right. for sure. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, last episode we talked about. Outcast. We actually watched the trailer, and we were talking that it was going to be released in China just in a few days after we had recorded. Until...
2: Until it is mysteriously, dare I say, shelved. In fact, just, what, a few days before a large theatrical release in China... The film was pulled from theaters. Yeah, I think it was
0: maybe the day of. Oh yeah, hours before, I think. Basically, everyone was shocked. No one knows what happened, and they still haven't gotten a good sense since then about why the film was shelved. I know that...
2: It's considered Chinese-made because they utilized a Chinese equity partner in the production production of
0: it. it. Our Chinese overlords paid for the movie.
2: And now they're not showing it. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Well, I will be watching Outcast because it does look awesome to me. How did how did you find me, Lot? Remember? It was great. <laughs> He's some, do we have any I other, don't even. Do we have any other news? We can't news?
2: even speculate on what that was. Well, we no, just, I can
0: speculate. We can only I can quote. speculate all. Do you have any other news?
2: Uh, well, we can talk a little bit about how Left Behind has been
0: right. doing. I mean, we had been planning on seeing Left Behind for the last two years. Uh, I was really excited about it coming out just because it looked so awful, and I couldn't wait to see Cage's take on the Rapture. But then the reviews started coming out, and I expected maybe you know a 35 on Rotten Tomatoes, or maybe a maybe a, a 40. And I think we're sitting at around a 2%. Ouch, right
2: Ouch! Ouch! Left behind.
0: I made a joke that a 2% is not just for milk anymore.
2: Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it's, it's so true that's though. Basically,
0: the response I got on Twitter too. Yes. Yeah, well. That much uproarious laughter. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it looks horrible. We'll wait for DVD. I hope it's worth a watch, just so we can see Cage trying to win his wife back from Jesus.
2: Well, I mean,
0: it's it's a journey that we're on together. I mean, on a journey, there's uh, there's there's high high mountains, and perhaps there may be a low valley in there or, or two or or well twenty.
2: Left Behind must be perhaps one of the lowest points on the Earth's crust, <laughs> for the good Mr. Cage. The magma. If uh, Rotten Tomatoes has anything right. to say about it.
0: Well, it didn't do well in the box office either. I think it made. 6 million opening and it's about you know uh, 11 or 12 million as we're recording this and so and so that's not the worst thing ever but considering some of these faith based movies have been making a lot of money uh, recently in the box office this must be seen as a disappointment
2: yeah unfortunately it seems to be going the way of many of his most uh, current films and uh
0: and that's a damn shame All but is that is that it well, yeah, it is. And that was Cage News.
2: do 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 Excellent. You like my little fade out there? Excellent. So you didn't have to do that? Last
0: week we did dun-dun-dun.
2: Before we get to the meat and potatoes of this humble podcast, we want one more thing from you listeners. We really want people to know that we're out there, or for maybe those that dipped a toe into the waters of CageCast so many years ago.
0: Ooh, the water seems warm.
2: Well, it's because we're back. Wow. Follow us, if you would, on Twitter at at CageCast. Check out our Facebook page. Post about our show on your Facebook page. Leave us feedback. All of these things would benefit the CageCast podcast that you are now listening to. It
0: would make us millions.
2: Of good friends, I think is how you wanted to end that sentence. Our email address is ilovecagecast at gmail.com. Also, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Your high praise will really help get this little podcast off the ground. Currently, we're up to five five-star reviews.
0: I think our buddy Josh might have given us another review, like, this afternoon at that birthday that party. Would make,
2: that would make a six.
0: That's 30 stars total.
2: Are your next five stars going to get us to 35?
0: Only time will tell.
2: Only time will tell.
0: Hey, Britt, we've got a voicemail to play.
2: Really? No. That's great. No,
0: we don't. Not really. Oh. Yeah. Not one.
2: Well, we've now got a call-in number for people to not leave us messages at.
0: Right. Exactly. If you don't want to leave us a message, definitely don't 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 leave it for us at this number. Right. Right. Don't call. But if you do. And it took me a long time to secure this number. And it was actually pretty sad how I went through different iterations on how we could make this a cage-esque number.
2: Wow, well, are you ready for it, listeners? I'm ready too. If you want to leave us a voicemail. We're ready, Tiny miniatures. If you want to leave us a teeny <laughs> tiny voicemail, go ahead and call 3008 cage okay. That's 3308224365.
0: That's 30-08-CAGE-OK. cage okay.
2: All right, Casey Kasem.
0: All the pleasantries. Next up, a song about a dog named Fluffy and its owner. Never mind. All right. With cancer.
2: Okay. Now, with all those pleasantries out of the way.
0: Yeah, screw pleasantries.
2: Let's get to Moonstruck. Here are some stats.
0: All right. I feel like I've been a little silly so far today, so I'm going to try to be as serious as possible. Really serious
2: up, if you could, please.
0: Uh, uh, Okay, Moonstruck was released in December of 1987. Nick Cage was still a young 23 years old. Wow. The budget was $15 million and it actually made over $91 million. Woo! Which in today's inflated uh, $2014, dollars, that would be at about $183 million.
3: Moonstruck million. hit
0: it
2: out of the park. Which doesn't
0: really happen for romantic comedies it's these It's true.
2: Days. Yeah. It's
0: pretty yeah. cool. Definitely the biggest box office success in Cage's career to date. Con- yes, tons of people saw it. If Raising Arizona kind of got people talking about him, Moonstruck really got him in front of people. Everyone knew who Nick Cage was after this movie. At least, um, at least the majority of the American movie-going public.
2: Right, right. And he had an incredible cast. Right. That he was working with. I mean, Cher, Olympia Dukakis. Vincent Gardenia. We've got some major heavy hitters here.
0: Danny Aiello. The director was Norman Jewison. He's kind of the real deal. He did In the Heat of the Night. He did The Hurricane, that uh, Denzel Washington movie based on that uh, Bob Dylan song, based on that real person.
2: Wow, yep. so many iterations uh, He did
0: Filler on the Roof, The Old Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, I mean, this is the real deal. So at this point, Cage has worked with... Francis Ford Coppola, the Cohen brothers, and Norman Jewison, which yeah. is not bad for 23.
2: Seriously, how many of you 23-year-olds can, you know, boast those kinds of chops?
0: Most 23-year-olds are still uh, living in their parents' basements playing oh. Xbox One.
2: We still love you, 23-year-olds. We think you're great.
0: Or PS4. Or maybe... Or b- or both at the same time. Maybe the Connect, Oculus Rift. Wow. I know.
2: You're going deep into it's the crazy. underbelly now. <laughs> you know me anyway
0: the writer was John Patrick Shanley this was his first real script
2: yeah but he went on to do some pretty big stuff i mean joe versus the volcano alive
0: congo and then doubt that was good yes alive alive is the uh, eat each other movie huh? yeah 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 nasty e yeah. still delicious moving nasty Right. All right, now we get to awards. And actually, normally this is a pretty brief part of the episode, but here we have something to talk about. Cage was actually nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance, uh, which was the biggest nomination that he had ever received up to this point. But honestly, everyone knows Moonstruck because of Cher. Oh, yeah, we'll get to Well, we have plenty to talk about. But Right. She won Best Actress for this movie. Yes, she did. Everyone loved her in it. Olympia Dukakis won Best Supporting Actress. Yes, she did. Which uh, is pretty awesome. Vincent Gardenia was up for Best Supporting Actor. It was up for Best Picture. It was up for Best Director. It also won for Best Original Screenplay for this um, for John Patrick Shanley. So, I mean, this thing was an Oscar darling. It was a big box office hit, and it took 1987 by storm. There we go. Now, as far as our That's cage... That's exciting stuff. Yeah, totally. Now
2: We're getting legit here, listeners. It's so exciting.
0: Now, as far as our cage genre, <clears throat> uh, we are still going to put this in the lovably dopey category.
2: To be sure. To be
0: sure. You know, we've kind of been living there for the last few films, and really for this first season of his career, he has been this lovably dopey young guy.
2: Yeah, and it really has suited him, I'd say, more often than not. I mean, we've. I believe if you go back in the... Catacombs of our podcast. We've he, there have been few films that he, he has not done well in this particular genre of character. I think more often than not, he has excelled or at the very least succeeded in portraying this kind of a, a character,
0: right? And and we'll see this moving on. Our next week's movie, well, we'll get into that, but this may be the last time we see Lovably Dopey Cage for a bit,
2: yes, yes. I think my guess is moonstruck sort of opened doors for him previously unavailable.
0: Maybe it in his culminated. Career. Maybe he attained the heights of what lovable dopiness could achieve and he decided to put that away. Yes, retire. Yeah.
2: Quit while he's ahead.
0: Exactly. Mo- move on. Well, when you when you've reached the top of Everest, how how much higher when you've touched the stars?
2: Or the moon. Oh, oh, I see what you
3: did there. Uh, did you see what oh my I did? When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's more When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's more Bells will ring, ting a ling a And you'll sing beat the bell Hearts will play, tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay Like a guitar and When the stars make you drool Just like a pastiff as at smore. When you dance down the street with a at your feet, you're in love When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming Signore Scus me, but you see back in old Napoli that's more <laughs>
0: All right, Moonstruck. Britt, what is your history with this movie?
2: Shockingly, never saw it before our screening for the podcast. Seriously, I know. I would
0: have put this square in your, especially your mom. Well, I would have thought your mother would have loved this one and shown it to you several times. She,
2: she probably did, but alas, I was, I was young when this came out. There's a little tidbit for you there, listeners, and uh, it didn't hit, didn't hit my radar for some time. I
0: would have thought. Did your mother like this movie?
2: Yes, I believe that both of my parents did. Okay. But it I, seems haven't, like I haven't run thing. a poll okay. in some time. How well, about you? History with this movie? I've uh,
0: never seen it. Shocker. Well, not that shocking. It's just not... I'm not a romantic comedy guy by trade.
2: You're not the target audience?
0: No, I'm more of a, you know, super, super deep, thought-provoking, arty movie or the more explosions or Michael Bay I don't think there were any explosions in this movie
2: no well there were emotional there were explosions of the heart well those kind too alright
0: okay so let's do a plot synopsis here real quick I tried to I've got a rule now first off I'm not going to write these myself anymore I'm just going to steal them from Wikipedia and second of all I'm going to make sure they're 500 words or less because we cannot be here all damn night got it
2: that's a amore
0: loretta castorini is a widow living with her eccentric italian american family in brooklyn heights her boyfriend johnny proposes to her before leaving for sicily to attend to his dying mother they plan to marry one month later and johnny asks loretta to invite his estranged brother ronnie to the wedding loretta informs her parents of the engagement her father cosmo dislikes johnny while her mother rose is pleased that loretta likes johnny but does not love him
2: The next day, Loretta goes to see Ronnie at his bakery. He reveals that he has a wooden prosthetic hand, and he blames Johnny for the loss. Loretta insists that they discuss the matter upstairs in his apartment, where she cooks for him and then tells him she believes he is a wolf who cut off his own hand to escape the trap of a bad relationship. Ronnie reacts furiously and passionately, sweeping Loretta up in his arms and carrying her to the bed.
0: To the bed. I think you did it better than me. The next morning, Loretta tells Ronnie they can never see each other again. She slaps him on the face when he claims to be in love with her. He agrees to never see her again if she will attend the opera with him that night. That afternoon, Loretta impulsively has some long-neglected beauty treatments, which make her look uglier than she did before, in my opinion, (laughs) including having the gray removed from her hair, just a little bit of commentary there, and buys a glamorous evening gown. Then she goes to church to confess her infidelity and sees her mother there, and Rose, her mother, tells her that Cosmo, her father, is having an affair.
2: Loretta and Ronnie meet at Lincoln Center, and Loretta is deeply moved by La Boheme, her first opera. As they leave, Loretta sees her father and his mistress, and she confronts him. Loretta then intends to return home alone, but Ronnie leads her back to his apartment, where he passionately and desperately persuades her to get in his bed. The same night, Rose dines alone at a restaurant and sees a college professor being dumped by a female student. Rose invites the professor to dine with her, and she shares with him her belief that men pursue women because they fear death. Perry walks Rose home and tries to convince her to invite him in. She refuses, citing the fact that she knows herself. Later, Johnny unexpectedly returns from Sicily after his mother's miraculous recovery and goes to Loretta's house. Rose explains that she's not there, so he plans to return in the morning.
0: Right. In the morning, Loretta returns home after her tryst with Ronnie, and soon after, Ronnie arrives there. Around the kitchen table, Rose confronts Cosmo and demands that he end his affair. He is upset but agrees and they affirm their love for one another when johnny finally arrives he breaks off the engagement because his mother is alive now i think more on that later loretta yells at johnny but seizing the moment johnny borrows the ring and asks loretta to marry him and she accepts loretta declares that she loves ronnie the family toasts the couple with champagne and they all live happily ever after as dean martin sings that's amore okay that's moon that's moonstruck
2: how does our movie begin
0: so our movie begins with a shot of the moon you know one thing that always gets me what is when we see the world trade center towers in oh the yes they show that's them there a couple times um in this movie and i don't know why it doesn't bother me but it, it certainly just i can't i just can't look away when I see him, I guess I'm, it makes me sad, but it also definitely puts it in New York and puts it in a time and a place. Watch the shots at the Brooklyn Bridge, reminding us that this movie does take place in Brooklyn Heights. Italian family, very real, very authentic to uh, what it actually looks like to live there and what people actually talk like there.
2: So kind of the next series of scenes that we see, I believe, is Loretta. It's played by Cher,
0: right. We're introduced to her,
2: right, and she is sort of going about a typical day.
0: She seems to be an accountant or bookkeeper kind of person.
2: And you'll see later in the film she she does this for several small businesses. So initially, there's a funeral home scene where we see her reviewing the books there. Right. Then later and on, a, in,
0: because so she's, she must she must do this for you know just several local businesses and try to make ends meet.
2: Right. Right. I mean, obviously, these are establishing shots and establishing the basic premise of this woman's life so that when color enters, as it as it will, in the form of Nicolas Cage and others, you know, we can kind of see how it really does punch up her everyday life Right.
0: to well, a let's, pretty extreme degree. Let's talk about Cher a little bit. Go for it. Okay. I know her as, let's see, uh, Sonny's wife. I know her from You Got Me Babe, their song. I know her from some sort of like song called "Half Breed," where um she's talking about being half uh, Indian, Native American right. thing, um and I know her from that awful I people liked it, but wasn't there a um. Wasn't there a video of her on a destroyer, like a battleship of sorts, where she's all hoard out?
2: If I could turn back time, it was so Absolutely. bad, right? Not good. No, back in the day, that was that was the business. Oh, right she's up. She is she fantastic. supposed to be a prostitute? She was sexing it up. Come on, Madonna was doing the same thing.
0: Goodness,
2: it was, and then it was, a, it was appropriate for the for the time. I'm,
0: I'm literally actually thinking of my of my my cumulative share memories. The next would be that. Um, the auto-tune disaster believe. I don't even have notes on this. I just know like that Do you believe in after love? That thing? Was like an
2: international hit.
0: Awful though.
2: Everyone loved it. Uh,
0: did you love it?
2: I enjoyed it. Oh no. If it came on at the gym I would run to it. Okay
0: the next thing I knew it go. from was burlesque.
2: Well, this is getting on in Cher's... That's
0: all I know. But I'm right. saying, like, we're skipping from beat to beat of, you know, the Cher...
2: The share highlights The Cher, Cher biography.
0: If I was writing a biography of Cher, which I don't know why I would be picked as a ghostwriter for that, but if I was, those would be the beats. So my estimation of her was not very high. I didn't really find her attractive. I didn't find her to be a compelling actress in any way, and not a very compelling singer in any way. So generally speaking, I dismiss her... Completely, outright, 100 percent, nothing, nothing redeeming about Cher, whatsoever.
2: So, in the first, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of this film, where there's really not a lot going on, we see her kind of working her jobs and and living very modestly with her Italian parents and their family home in Brooklyn Heights and having dinner with her boyfriend. What you know, just in those first few minutes of, of her performance was your mind changed or was it starting to change
0: it was starting to change it was starting to change already because i don't know what it was but but her hair with a little bit of gray and her face just so uh, ordinary is not the right word but but not every other time i had seen her she's larger than life here she's just a normal person and she immediately caught my attention i thought she was beautiful i thought she was confident I thought she was funny, and I knew I was in for something that I had never seen out of her before. Interesting. Yeah, what about you?
2: I don't have quite the same disdain for Cher's career as you do, Um, but, you know, the little that I do know about this film is that she did win an Oscar for it, and so I was excited to kind of see, well, what does that look like, especially given that this was was before so much of some of those recent songs and, and film that you talked about. And so I was really eager to just watch kind of what she did, how she took the character, how she ran with it, what, you know, all those little nuances, kinds of things. And, you know, I certainly was not disappointed by any stretch.
0: Her boyfriend is Johnny, played by Danny Aiello. Do you know this guy at all? Yes, but... I don't. Not I, really. I, I mean, I know he, he looks face. familiar, but Yes,
2: yeah. yeah. He's a character actor, if I am remembering things yeah. correctly.
0: But I think he's been in a few Woody Allen things but I I really am not sure I'm I'm, he's not coming to mind I don't couldn't place him so let's talk about this dinner scene a little bit we we hear them talking and then uh, we quickly pan over to this older man and the younger woman at a table and they're talking and who's the
2: older man played by
0: John Mahoney known best I believe as Frazier's dad yes CDs Frazier
2: for you young people that will mean nothing
0: Right, and it barely means anything for me. I wasn't a huge Frasier fan, but he was funny, and he is um, having dinner with this young lady, pretty young lady, who quickly throws water all over him.
2: Yeah, so Loretta and Johnny are having this dinner date and it's interrupted by this kind of raucous scene and it's it's great you know it's one of those scenes that I don't see that often in movies anymore where it disrupts the entire restaurant did you notice that yeah seems exactly. like it, it seems like in movies today where there's a really intense dramatic moment in a restaurant the whole rest of the restaurant just sort of carries on right. but in this scene the entire restaurant is watching this soap opera moment take place and I just think it's fantastic so
0: yeah so she throws water in his face and storms out he asks he ordered- the wait- yeah, he, he asks the waiter
2: to clear any and all evidence that she was at the ever table. existed,
0: and bring him a, lar- a, a large glass of vodka. Yes, and uh, and, and that proceeds to eat dinner alone.
2: And that's all it is, but it's really, it's just this really funny short
0: moment. What struck me about this is that Johnny, watching this, laughed and said, "He can't control his woman."
2: Yes, that's right. And the
0: ironic part is he has zero control over Cher or anyone else in his entire life.
2: Right. It's true. He is an interesting character, this Johnny. He, you kind of go in, a lot of the film's characters are stereotypical, which is charming in this particular instance. It's really sweet. It's really, it's really fun. They're very, very well acted. They're very well done characters. Danny Aiello, or I should say Johnny You know, on the one hand, you kind of expect him to have the the kind of bravado that many Italian men have. And he really is the exact opposite of that. He's extremely timid. He's extremely, I'd almost say, placating to a certain degree. And we see that a few scenes later um, in, in some interactions that he has. On the telephone with Loretta and then with his mother, which is just really funny. But
0: I um, mean he goes on to propose marriage in this right. scene and he does it wrong and she corrects him and says, No, no, you need to get down on your knee or you need a ring or you need Yeah,
2: he's he's completely unprepared for this and yet you can kinda tell he's been thinking about it.
0: Right. And they well they know the staff at the restaurant is talking about it. Oh he's gonna
2: Sure, he's planned it when the dessert gets rolled out, this is the time. Exactly. And yet he's just basically just fumbles his way through the entire proposal.
0: And with Loretta as we know her now, we kind of see how this makes sense. He's safe, he's probably dependable, he probably makes an okay living. I can see why Loretta would would say yes. And she doesn't say like I, she doesn't say she loves him. She says, "Yes, I will be your wife."
2: Yes. And then
0: like she's playing a role almost.
2: Right. She agrees. And then they go back to eating their dinner. And she immediately sort of takes on this not nagging wife, but but sort of mothering role with him. I think she references something about making sure that he doesn't get something that's too spicy before he gets on his plane.
0: Right. Definitely very mothering.
2: Yeah, which I just thought was really interesting. It made me wonder if that was the nature of their relationship prior to his proposal or that now that she sort of accepted this new level that she's slipping into sort of this mothering, caring for, nurturing type of a
0: role. You know what kind of put the period off the end of this sentence for me? she's driving him to the airport.
2: Again, it very much falls in line with how they're trying to establish her character
0: as well as his. Right, exactly. Well, they hit the nail on the head because that for me, I'm just like, ooh, she's driving him. Okay, I see how this goes.
2: Take your period away from that sentence and put a semicolon on it because, continue our literary metaphors here, because at the airport, it's a jumble of people trying to get on their planes and make their connections. And almost as an afterthought, As he's getting ready to go, she kisses him. But it's not dutiful. It's actually very tender. And she smiles afterwards. There's this really just, it's a very small couple of seconds moment where she kind of realizes that he's going and she's saying goodbye. And she gives him a kiss and there's a real sweetness to it. So she has an affection for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that he is bolstered a little bit by that as he leaves, too. You can kind of see the expression on his face, the expression on hers. There is there's, there is a tenderness there. You know, one thing that struck me as I was watching maybe the first 20 minutes of this film... What
0: moon struck you.
2: Right. What moon struck me. As I was watching the first 20 minutes of this film, I wrote down that there are a lot of really interesting relationships portrayed just right at the front end of this movie. Like what? Well, for example, we have... Frasier's dad, John Mahoney, who I'm just gonna call Fraser's dad because yeah, I
0: mean that's let's be honest, he's
2: Frasier's dad. John, who? He and this young girlfriend, and just sort of the the debacle that they get into, and then we have Loretta and Johnny. Obviously, they're sort right. of the, at the front front end of our of our relationship hierarchy. But then as soon as as Johnny gets on the plane and she's watching the plane take off, she stands next to this older Italian woman who is sort of muttering. In Italian, can't really tell what she's saying, and then she, she turns to Loretta and says, "I just curse this plane because my right. sister's on it." Mm-hmm. So we need we. It's this very short scene, and we never see this woman again. But we, from it, we get that she has a sister, who wronged her and she explains how she's wronged her but she wronged her and now she's cursed the plane hopes that it will explode in midair into a thousand tiny pieces and burn her sister up and she'll be dead. So really interesting relationship there. So then you know is walking home she stops at the corner store to get something to drink and there's the husband-wife combo that run the store and they're having kind of an interesting dialogue that's a little bit bickery a little bit like a fight and at one point the Wife turns to the husband and says, I see a wolf in everyone. You
0: know what? Let's just, let's play that scene right now.
2: What are you talking about? I've seen the way you look
1: at her and it isn't right. How do I look at her? Can I help you? A spoon of mums. So, how do I look at her? Like a wolf. Like a wolf, huh? Uh-huh. Like a wolf. You've never seen a wolf in your life. Ooh, it's 1199.
0: I've seen a wolf in everybody I ever met. And I see a wolf in you. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes 20. Nice. Have a nice night. You too. You know what I see in you, Lonnie? What? The girl I married. Oh, come on. <laughs> Good
3: night. Good night. <laughs> Good
2: night. <laughs> yeah, so that just kind of gives you a really interesting taste, I think, of there are so many different relationships and they are all supposed to be, you know, there aren't business relationships or friendships. They're all intended to have some sort of version of love at the center. Right. But it is very much different pictures of love.
0: But love, distrust, kind of just...
2: Yeah, everything is edged familial. in yeah, kind of exactly. a funky way. There's nothing that's just pure, unadulterated adulterated love right. kind of in its naive sense it's it's everything is edgy
0: and that's not really normally what we see at all in a romantic comedy so already i'm I'm liking it it's very different yeah and it feels very real you know maybe it's the time maybe it's the place maybe it's because everyone's italian and just oozes emotion all the time but love mixed with hate is just part of this movie
2: right very much so
0: well, next we see Loretta getting home, and I just want to say quickly, uh, she lives in Brooklyn, but she lives in this huge old house that I absolutely love. It's just big, open space, and it seems like there's several generations of her family that all live together under one roof and a huge old brick house.
2: Yes, she lives with her parents, right. Rose and Cosmo, and with Cosmo's father as well, whose name I don't recall. He is like old world... Italian, five dogs, five dogs, yep. and they dominate most of his scenes. He's always walking them. They're running up and down the stairs. He's speaking them in Italian. He takes them out to the pier to look at the moon. It's the dogs. That's his thing. And then it's Loretta. So there's four of them. But yeah, you're right. It's three generations all in this cool old house that they probably bought a thousand years before, and have lived in ever since.
0: So much of the action or the the emotional resonance of this movie takes place at the kitchen table, which is actually in the kitchen.
2: Right. There is a scene where there's a formal, heavy-duty dining room, but so yes, yeah, so much of what's going on, in the heart of the home, is the kitchen. And we'll we can get into this as, as we talk more about about Loretta's relationship with her parents in particular. But you know, I, one of the things that you very much get a sense of is sort of the old world versus new world. They're sort of the, the intersection of old traditional family and all of the values and beliefs and maybe even obligations that come along with that kind of butting up against or intersecting with the new world and kind of being a modern woman and having what modern relationships look like. And it's really cool to see that there is very much a central old traditional value system in place. But there are times when, you know, Loretta, I think, is caught a little bit in wanting to be her own woman, but still very much entwined in this in this traditional family.
0: So Loretta sits down at the kitchen table and tells her dad that she's going to marry Johnny and he is not happy at all. I don't know exactly why he doesn't like him. He just doesn't like him. she He really doesn't want her to get married at all. And I think it, part of it might have to do with he doesn't want her to leave. And this is where we find out that Loretta was married before.
2: That's right. That's right. She had been married before. I think it comes out that she's only been married for two years. And her husband got hit by a bus.
0: Because of bad luck. Because, because they, didn't, they get married in city hall, and so that's why I got hit by a right.
2: bus. Right, her her dad didn't pay for the big white wedding. They got married in city hall.
0: What wedding?
2: It would have been a nice day for one too. Yeah. He doesn't pay for the wedding. They get married at city hall. Two years later, her husband dies by getting hit by a bus, and so now she's
0: living at home,
2: cursed with bad luck.
0: Exactly, and so that's why she wants a, this big wedding, and he's not he's not interested in paying for it, and he's not interested really in her getting married again.
2: So it's an interesting scene. It's not this quiet, touching, poignant scene. It's this loud middle of the night, champagne with dad. Right. Big, you know, emotions, lots of it's it's great.
0: He uh, her dad tells her to go upstairs and tell her mom. And she goes up, I think wakes up her mom or something like that and tells her mom that he's she's going to marry Johnny and her mom has a great line. Yeah, she This is at- where we meet Olympia Dukakis, and I wasn't too impressed with her at first, um, but this line was great.
3: Rose.
1: Rose. 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 Who's dead? Nobody. Nobody's getting married. Again?
3: Yeah. Johnny Camareri. I don't like him. You're not going to marry him, Cosmo. You love them Loretta. No, good. When you love them they drive you crazy cuz they know they can.
0: So the next day we get a quick scene of grandpa taking his five dogs down to the local cemetery to take craps all over the graves from what I can tell. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> um, possible. It's a different different time. Um, and, and all, he meets well
2: he meets all his cronies. Right, at the all his other
0: old Italian guys who are one foot in the grave and they talk about the moon it kind of seems a little bit disjointed but they just talk about the moon
2: la bella luna
0: la bella luna
2: they talk about how the moon causes men to chase women
0: like makes them horny
2: well that's a good question because the imagery of the moon is very obvious and present throughout the entire movie but so are the so is this image of the wolf and that comes up a few different times mm-hmm. So you have this sort of wolf. Oh, yeah,
0: like a wolf howling at the moon. You have this sort of wolf-moon connection. Even like a werewolf kind of thing. Like it transforms men to virile creatures of passion.
2: Right. Well, and I don't want to give too much away quite yet because we're not quite to our fearless Mr. Cage in his debut, but he undergoes a little bit of a transformation into a wolf-like creature in his pursuit of Loretta. You know, you have these shots of the moon and you have different people commenting on the moon. There's a few different stories told about the moon throughout the movie. And then you have this wolf imagery, first with the couple in the liquor store, and then it's used again later by Loretta to describe Ronnie Nicolas Cage. So I don't know. I don't know. There's there's something going on there, but it certainly sort of establishes this undercurrent of old-school Old world, urban myth, tradition, yeah, traditional folk- folkloric I mean, type of a type of. It's kind of cool, yeah. It,
0: it actually it introduces this kind of, again, kind of a fairy tale kind of atmosphere to it. Not just this is real life, definitely. It's set in real life, but it. At this point, we're seeing it's not like they're not as they seem, but it's like there's magic in the air, and I'm not trying to sound ridiculous because I know that is kind of silly to say, but.
2: Well, it's as though this story could be taking place in an old Italian village, but it is in fact taking place in modern-day Brooklyn. So again, there's just it's another example of old world intersecting with new. Like you said, it fills the film with a sort of magical realism to a certain extent, and it also really provides a lot of depth to the film that otherwise could be flat, because there's not a lot of action. There's, it takes place in a very small area of Brooklyn. I mean, you really don't travel that far outside of this family's neighborhood. I think there's one scene um, at Lincoln Center. But apart from that, geographically, you're not going very far. You don't have a lot of characters. It's not this vast array of people coming and going. It's a slice of life for one family. And if you don't have the richness of all of these underpinnings of tradition, it could be kind of a boring story.
0: So we get another quick scene of Loretta and her mom also in the kitchen. They're making breakfast. They're eating. They're talking. They're talking about uh, where Loretta's going to live when she gets married to Johnny. Loretta wants to stay in the house and live there, but she knows her dad doesn't like Johnny, and so that's not going to work. Johnny's got an apartment they can go live in. But...
2: So in the midst of this breakfast conversation with her mom, the phone rings, and it is Johnny calling from Sicily um, from his dying mother's bedside. And so they have this conversation, and he kind of just ends up being a little bit of a hot mess on the phone. And
0: Well, and his mother's dying.
2: His mother is dying, to be sure, but he's he just continues to be portrayed as this really... Um, soft
0: character. His mother is dying, but he is a mama's boy.
2: Yes, that's the word. And Loretta's on the other line, I think, trying to stay strong. But man, if if she could have rolled her eyes, she probably would have. You know, it, they're, they are very much uh, polar opposites. And he even hangs up the phone and turns around and just starts like openly weeping, sobbing loudly. And the dying mother's th- throwing her hands up and exasperation from the bed but you loved it oh I thought it was that's how
0: you want to be remembered on your deathbed
2: if my son comes to my side weeping then I will have I know that I will have succeeded
0: what if he's stoic and stone faced and
2: single tear
0: single tear then I will know that I have succeeded stay tuned oh
2: stay tuned
0: for (laughs) the parenting war that will that will (laughs) unfold our poor guinea pig of a son <laughs> oh, anyway. Not funny. So um,
2: so Johnny makes this call.
0: Johnny, before he got on the plane, asked Loretta to call Ronnie, his estranged brother, that she never knew existed, and invite him to the wedding.
2: Right. And so all we know from Johnny is he's got a brother who is estranged and they haven't spoken in five years. Right. And he thinks it would not fly if he called Ronnie. So he's, he's asked Loretta to call.
0: Right, exactly.
2: So Loretta picks up the phone and calls the bakery that Johnny's brother owns to try and speak to him. And they have a very short heated exchange where Ronnie basically tells her off and slams down the phone and calls it a day. But stubborn Loretta, pragmatic, whatever you want to call her, won't take that for an answer. She decides to go see him.
0: And so nearly... 26 minutes into this 100-minute movie, we finally meet our man.
2: Yes, Nicolas Cage as Ronnie, Johnny's brother.
0: Yes, he is shoveling coal into an old-fashioned bread oven.
2: Yes. Muscles
0: glistening.
2: Well, well, so the bakery itself is on the ground level of this building that they're in, but the ovens and the the bread-making all happen kind of in the basement. And so the first scene of our fearless leader is... A dark, dingy, hot bakery. And he is just like you said, glistening and dirty and
0: passionate, passionate. He, and the the fire's not the only thing that's hot down there. oh,
2: my goodness. he he really he really debuts well,
0: yeah, I so let's say. talk about let's talk about uh, let's talk about Nick Cage in this movie a little bit. He is a passionate, fiery. Italian sort of I say sort of because his accent never really is there and yeah. that's got to be it's got to be nail um it like everybody yeah, else yeah, but does. that no well I, I, it's got to be intentional because I mean he is Mr. Accent. Look at look at Peggy Sue got married, right? Look at Raising Arizona, he nails it in those. At least exactly what he's trying to do he does. I don't believe that he was trying to do an Italian accent and didn't quite get there. I know that there were vocal coaches for Cher and Olympia Dukakis to get the Italian accent right. However, he doesn't have an over-the-top Brooklyn Italian accent.
2: Right, no. But he, what he lacks in there, he makes up for in copious amounts of passion,
0: in, in pa- intensity. He's a passionate man, and it's
2: uh, it's fantastic. He's got this the the exchange on the phone sort of continues in person with Loretta, and White. I wrote this line down: "What's wrong can never be made right." He is deeply wounded five years later by this apparent betrayal of his on his brother's part, and we still don't know what it is. We still don't know what this this relationship-killing
0: event was, but... Right, but you can tell he likes to talk about it. And in my... It feels like he's told this story quite a few times. Right,
2: there's all these bakery employees just sort of standing there stoically listening to their
0: leader they know what's going on and and they're gonna, they're kind of gonna sit back and and watch him kind of give a... it, It seems like a rehearsed monologue, like something he's talked about several, several times. And basically, what ends up, what he ends up... Well, I cannot do it justice listen five years
1: ago i was engaged to be married and uh and johnny came in here and he ordered bread for me and i said oh okay some bread (laughs) and and i put my hand in the slicer and it got caught because i wasn't paying attention the slicer chewed off my hand (laughs) it's funny because when my fiance found out about it when she found out that i'd been maimed she left me for another man That's the bad blood between you and Johnny? Yes, that's it. Yeah, but that's not Johnny's fault. I don't care! I ain't no freaking monument to justice! I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away, and forget?
2: I'm going along watching this movie, just sucked in, thinking it's great, and then... and then... We have a wooden hand. Yeah, we have a wooden hand. That's a thing. A wooden hand. Sure,
0: that's a thing. The it, the, it, uh, the, I, uh, the there the, are no words. The the screenwriter knew a guy with a wooden hand, and so he threw it in the movie. Nicholas Cage is a wooden hand. You know, it's funny. It, it it must mean something. It means something, but it doesn't really come up much.
2: No, I mean there's it's it's basically his introduction to Loretta is via the wooden hand and the saga that goes oh, along with it. my hand? Right. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come up again. And so not that just really. I'm Not really. I mean, so he wears a glove, right?
0: He wears a glove sometimes, but it's not really a major part of the movie and I'm thinking about like the thematically what it represents and we get a little bit of the That in the conversation they have up in his apartment, but him being a handless, wooden hand-wearing person does not come up.
2: No, it doesn't, and so it's not a
0: plot point. It
2: makes it all the more fascinating to me. It makes it all the more interesting that we have this moment with the hand, and then never again.
0: Well, not never again. I mean, we see him wearing. We see it, but it they bring our attention back to it, but it's not. It's not. it, It has no effect on the on the rest of the story. Right. So, as adamant as he is that he does not want to talk about this and he will not be attending the wedding 30 seconds later, he's going up to his apartment to talk about it more.
2: Right. Right. So whatever it feels like he just needed to blow off steam and tell his ranting story. And then he'll basically agree to whatever she asks of him because Loretta then goes and says, let's just keep talking about this in your apartment where you can calm down, not in the pits of hell where you're sweaty and dusty with flour and your wooden hand might catch on fire. So they go upstairs.
0: Yeah. Well, before they go upstairs, we see them leaving. And then we get a quick few scenes of Cosmo talking to a couple about their pipes and what kind of pipes they need to get replaced in their house. Cut to Cosmo bragging about how he sold these pipes to his mistress. Yes. And I hate her. Automatically, because Olympia Dukakis is super sweet and super nice as Rose, as Loretta's mom in this movie. We've already we we like her. Well, and this woman, Mona, is not very appealing to me.
2: Well, she's definitely a foil for sure, as I'm sure most mistresses are. I wouldn't know. I
0: would not know either.
2: (laughs) Well, good she's a little vapid for one and for another, you know, you see scenes of Rose and she's very, no nonsense. And later in the movie, you find out they've been married for 52 years. And so they clearly have a comfort level. They have a routine, you know, she's not ultra fussy, but this Mona gal, every time we see her, she's very dolled up. Um, He's taking her out at like a ice cream parlor is kind of what it looked like. He's dressed to the nines every time he's with her. There's just a lot of sort of fussing about with Mona. That might not be. That might be part of why you don't like her.
0: Well, either way, I think it's just a quick scene for us to establish. I think it's the first time we see that he is having an affair. Yes. And it kind of, for a while, just like, who, what is going on exactly? Who is this person? But by the end of the scene, it dawns on me, yes, he's having an affair and I hate him now, and she's awful. Right. So so it's
2: very quick. It, it gets put in there to help us along later. Then we go back to...
0: Speaking of having affairs, let's go to the apartment where right. we put on a record, and we tell Loretta not to make us food, and then she makes him food. A smart she, move.
2: She makes him a steak. She makes him a man's it meal. It looks good, too. Well, and he's so insistent that she cook it well done, and she says... To hell with that.
0: Yeah, doesn't she cook it medium rare?
2: Yes, it's all red and bloody, and he thinks it's just the best thing he's ever had.
0: That's right, because he's a wolf. That's right. T- uh, let's talk about this uh, conversation they have, because this might be where the Oscar came from.
2: It's not um, straightforward. I mean, you can kind of see where it's going, and, and if you really want to gloss over the finer points, you get you get there in the end, but there is, the, the dialogue, I think, is really critical to the characters, some of the themes that we've already discussed, sort of their character arc and development, their relationship. So it it really pays to sit down and, and have a listen through, but it's not easy to do. I found myself sort of getting lost in some of the dialogue Um, For example, you know, he sits down, Ronnie sits down and sort of shares in a more calm way, some of the details of the story of how he lost his hand and and this gal that's involved, this woman that left him after his hand was cut off and how it's all his brother's fault. And that makes sense. But then Loretta goes right from there into this kind of, you are a wolf. The first time through, I did not understand where she was coming from. It kind of came out of left field. It felt a little disjointed, but... We went through and and watched it a few different times, and it really does pay off, especially then when you consider kind of it in the context of the whole film. It's a really well-written piece of screenplay. I think it's a really nicely done dialogue, but it, it was confusing the first time through.
0: Well, what I like about it is you can tell they're a match for each other, right? When I say they're not like, I'm not saying they're a perfect match. I'm saying like they match wits, right? Right. Like, They will keep each other going intellectually. They're bonding, really. And there's no defenses up. They're just from the very beginning. They're both being very real. They're both being themselves. They don't feel like they have to put on a show for either one. They're not trying to impress each other. And that's kind of refreshing in a romantic scene. What turns into a romantic scene because that was there is no pretense at the beginning. They are drinking together. They are eating red meat together. And they're kind of talking slash arguing And it kind of builds and it's the seamless kind of transition over the few minutes of this scene from talking and drinking to accusing to passion explosion of passion. Yeah. I mean, she he Ronnie gets pretty flustered and angry and that. She,
2: he, she calls him, Loretta calls him a wolf, but ultimately he becomes one. <laughs> you know, he throws the table o- upside down. Yeah, she's and, got him pegged. And he picks sweeps her up off her feet, literally. And, oh, it's that classic scene. If you've never seen Moonstruck, you at least know the scene where he's taking her and walking her through the apartment.
0: And she what, says, where are we going? Where
2: are you taking me? <laughs> to the bed. And then she kind of throws her head back. And, oh, it's... It's great, She's it's kind fabulous. of resigned,
0: okay, to the bed, Take me, I don't even care.
2: I don't even care, but it it's just an it's a different sort of way to get to that place from most romantic comedies, I think, especially modern day ones where everyone's looking for a twist, well, these people.
0: Right. There's Just, no twist. There's this no is twist. straightforward. This is
2: very straightforward.
0: Yeah. And uh, and it's even it's very self-aware. She, They're lying in bed and she's kind of getting into it. I You get the impression that this is the first time in a long time that she's been in a situation like this. And maybe it doesn't seem like she's going to have a very passionate affair with Johnny throughout marriage. And so I think she's understanding that this is going to be something that she might not have for a while. And so She's not just resigning herself to it. She's really getting into it. I love her line where she talks about take it all out on me. Take out your feelings towards him on me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's it's just.
0: But then she says something like like leave leave nothing left but the skin on my bones or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, it's then, it just gets, like, then
2: it gets weird. <laughs> like, yeah, then it gets a little weird. You hey, wanna, lady. You want to fade to black a little
0: bit faster than they did. Now, now I always ask you this. Um, Nick Cage, 23, passionate man. You're a red-blooded American woman. What was your take on Mr. Cage?
2: He was an attractive young man, and this movie did right by him in that regard.
0: Can you extrapolate on that? Uh, I mean, I'm not just talking about his looks. What I'm talking about is he stands up, he throws the table over, everything goes flying, and he just picks her up and takes her like a caveman, right? Like a savage. And what I'm saying is women, I think, would say that that's uncivilized, and we don't want that. I want a man who is in tune with my feelings, who listens, who splits the check with me, who lets me drive to the airport, see what I'm saying? This is the opposite of that. He is young and he is passionate and he takes what he wants.
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, that's not an unappealing quality. I think it's nice to know that there's someone there that that can be in charge. I, I don't think I would want that all the time. But, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that, you know, women want men who understand them. I think that Ronnie understands Loretta in this scene. I think that they have established the kind of woman that she is and the kind of man that he is. And they even established that together in the conversation that they're having that leads up to this scene, up to this, you know, romantic encounter. And so it's not touchy feely in the way that sort of women perhaps think about romance today, but there's definitely an element of it in there. But yeah, you know, every once in a while, I I wouldn't turn that down. I wouldn't really want my kitchen table to be flung over, though. That's just
0: me. All right. Well, I'll remember that.
2: So there's this fade to black on Loretta and Ronnie. We know what they're up to. Kind of in the meantime, uh, at Rose and Cosmo's house, they're having a dinner with, I believe it's Rose's brother and his wife. So... More relatives, and then of course Cosmo's dad is there too. And it's sort of again, it's sort of a, it starts off as sort of a mundane, you know, dinner scene. They're in the formal dining room, and kind of out of nowhere, Rose's brother starts to talk really passionately about this old memory he has of Cosmo coming over to their house and throwing rocks at the window, presumably for Rose. But really, the focus of the story is the size of the moon that night. So we again have this moon imagery that comes into play, and he just kind of goes waxes poetic about the moon and how it woke him up, and then he saw Cosmo, and and it's a little bit arbitrary this entire story, and the rest of the dinner table is kind of looking at him like, "So what, (laughs) you know?" But then later that same night, we have what appears to be the exact same sort of moon,
0: And and a few different characters see it. Right, Rose sees it. And she goes back to the bed, and Cosmo is asleep. He was drinking he a was ton drinking, at dinner, He was drinking, so he's right.
2: passed out. He he misses the whole thing. Loretta sees it as well from the apartment window of mm-hmm, Ronnie's place. Exactly, And so they're kind of in this...
0: They're they, caught in this whole... They
2: have this whole moment where they're kind of silently... Right.
0: The gravitational... Look, look,
2: looking at the moon together, this, yeah. right? And there's not dialogue. You just see the two of them sort of waking up. And then going together to stare at the moon. And
0: so is this other couple that was just at dinner. Rose's brother. I mean, it works out well for him. He was the one who saw the moon so many years ago.
2: Yeah, and then he goes in and gets freaky with his wife.
0: That's right. He knows what he's doing. He saw that moon and he...
2: Jumped right on it.
0: (laughs) And they're not the only ones who see this moon. Even Grandpa, who's out walking his dogs, looks up and sees it and encourages, almost compels his dogs to howl at the moon. He howls, and so they howl, and now we've got this chorus of five dogs and grandpa all howling at the moon together is kind of a, a culmination of this crescendo of of these people being struck by the moon, by being moonstruck, which is where we get our title. Um, I would be lying if I told you I completely understood it, but it just adds to this kind of animalistic and magical feeling that we get about love and nature and what compels us what com, right exactly what compels us and not only in the past and different generations but now with new love it's it, it the moon ties it all together in kind of this nice wonderful magical little package and it's really this is where the movie for me is really starting to grab a hold
2: yeah yeah, it, it was a really cool scene where you do see all these different people and their responses to the moon.
0: Well, Loretta wakes up the next morning and realizes what she's done.
2: Right. She's no longer moonstruck in, no, in she the is cold light of day.
0: Unstruck. She is by the sun.
2: Horrified by her slip into morally tenuous territory. So she's basically you know, getting dressed and getting out of Ronnie's apartment and, and he's trying to keep her and in this rushed scene, he makes this very passionate declaration of love.
0: Yeah, he says he loves her and this is like probably the most famous line from the movie, maybe? Yeah. Or like it's at least in the trailer. It's up there. Yeah, where he says he loves her and she slaps him and says, snap, s- snap out of it.
2: Yeah, so he does manage to persuade her to kind of
0: do one last date. Right, exactly. He comes up with this with kind of her, with her. idea saying... I've got two loves. One is you and the other is the opera. So you come with me to the opera and then we never have to see each other ever again. Right, and I'll have, a good idea. Idea. I'll have both of my loves. I'll have both my loves in the same place. Exactly. Right. And, and uh, to me, you know... He knows what he's doing. He's slick. Exactly. And she knows what she's doing too. She's kind of resigned to it, but I don't think she actually thinks, like, well, I'll go to the opera and then I'll never see him again. She knows what she's doing. She just wants to see him again, right?
2: Right. And so. I mean,
0: I'm not crazy. She wants to see. She could say. I believe so. Yes.
2: I believe so. And then does she go to confession shortly after that? Straight to confession. So with this, with this. (laughs) agreed, agreed upon second date, if there was a first date, agreed upon date. She hightails it to confession. Now she feels guilty about sleeping with her fiance's brother. Well, and
0: we should mention Catholicism is everywhere in this movie. I mean, we see uh, pictures of the Pope on the wall in their kitchen.
2: Right. There. everyone's wearing a crucifix.
0: Everyone. There's rosaries. They go to confession. It's, um
2: heavily woven into the fabric of their lives
0: exactly right yeah and it's not really it doesn't really need to be mentioned it's not explicitly talked about it's just there all the time
2: right right so she makes her way to confession confesses to the priest her heinous crimes um gets her penance and then bumps into her mother
0: her penance doesn't seem too bad
2: no i know we
0: might need to convert. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's all it takes
0: I know seriously do a couple say a couple never mind go ahead
2: <laughs> so she bumps into her mom in the pews outside, outside of the confessional and there Rose kind of lets her in on the fact that she knows that Cosmo's having an affair and it's pretty upsetting news but that's kind of all that we get is that the two women then sort of share this moment now everyone's in the know except Cosmo he doesn't know that others know but uh, but then you know that's sort of the end of that scene, and it's, I think, just there to sort of continue on that particular plot line. So, Loretta leaves confessional and kind of starts to go about her day, picks up some...
0: The deposit from the butcher shop. Right. Right.
2: And then, um, I, I, I'm guessing that she's, you know, realizing that she's not quite as, not quite the looker that perhaps she once was in her youth. We get a
0: montage!
2: that's right we do we get a montage sorry, sorry we get a good old fashioned beautifying montage of now here's okay Loretta get, getting herself all. all right here's the problem here's, the, her problem. here's day day at, the problem here's the problem
0: here's the problem she was really pretty before she had a little bit of gray in her hair she was pretty enough for you know Mr. Cage for for Ronnie right she goes and she gets 80s-ified uh, 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 you know beauty salon she gets, salon. Sheer hair. She no, gets her share hair back she but it's wrong, well, it's back. bad, it's worse. Her it's so much so worse. She's no, un- <laughs> as a man, I think she looked nice and beautiful and wholesome and wonderful before. And now, I mean, I mean, whatever, it's iconic. I'm sure in the 80s, I'm sure in 1987 it was like, oh, she's turned into a beautiful sp- swan or something. But now, like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm turned off. Well, Not like I was, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a uh, uh, thumbs down for the makeover for me.
2: I do like that. They got the gray out and I think her dress was very pretty, but yeah,
0: the dress was fine. I'm just saying, did you think she looked better?
2: Well, I mean, her hair was big, but I expected that, you know, it is the 80s and it is Cher at some point. Butterfly's got to emerge from its cocoon.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we get mini scenes I'm depressed, of uh, her just drinking wine. Getting
2: mentally psyched up.
0: It's probably been a long time since she's had an opportunity like this to dress up nice and feel good about herself. So I feel very good for her, even though she's made a horrible mistake. Um, so she takes a cab to Lincoln Center. And this actually, uh, maybe this doesn't strike anybody else, but it's, it's, a, it's in an era before cell phones. And so we get one of these scenes where she gets out and and they don't meet right away they don't know exactly they didn't talk about exactly hey meet me by the fountain or anything like that he just said meet me at Lincoln Center and so there has to be a little bit of this anticipation of this kind of searching you know and it's it's a metaphor they're both searching for something in their life and here they are searching literally for each other um, to find something maybe even a little bit deeper. And I like it. I like that nowadays it just be a quick text. Hey, where are you? I'm by the fountain. Okay. And then they meet up. But here there really is that sense of anticipation that builds. And I think it's really kind of special.
2: Yeah, it is a very nice scene. And um, when they do finally, you know, catch each other's eye across the square. And, you know, he's obviously very wowed by her transformation. And
0: we're wowed by him too. I mean, yeah. we've only seen him as kind of this sweaty, disheveled baker muscle man and here he's in a tux with his hair you know slicked back it looks good
2: well so this is the thing i enjoyed this is in the era where people really dressed for things like the opera the symphony i mean all of the scenes then of them inside the opera house and sitting down everyone is you know fully dressed to the nines tuxes and glittery gowns and long gloves i mean it it was truly uh, a formal affair is it not like that now I think that in general, things have definitely become a more casual, certainly people still dress, but it's, it was, it was the standard of the day. And I don't think that that's the case anymore when you dress to go out. And so it's just enjoyable to watch these older films that, like you said, before the advent of cell phones, before sort of this more casual approach to, um, arts that, it's fine now, but it, it, it does kind of take you back to this other time. There was
0: kind of a pomp and circumstance about it.
2: It does, and it's it's enjoyable to watch and, and to remember.
0: So one thing we see here is that uh, they're not the only ones who thought the opera would be a good idea.
2: Right. Cosmo
0: is there with Mona as well.
2: Right. And this is a little bit later on. There's some really cool shots of you know Loretta and, and Ronnie at the opera together enjoying it. She's very emotionally moved by the story of La Boheme. Um, but then, yes, I think, is it during intermission or possibly at the end of the opera? It's at the end. That she sees her father there uh, with not her mother. and Not she, good. She, since she knows that he's having this affair, but now she gets it kind of right in her face as
0: well. And also interesting, intercut with the opera is Olympia Dukakis going out to dinner by herself because she doesn't know where her husband is, or she's assuming her husband is with his mistress. And uh, lo and behold, in the restaurant, who do we see but... Fraser's ...with a different young woman, but the scene plays out exactly like we saw it before with Loretta and Johnny's date. Uh, he says something, she stands up, throws the water in his face, he says the exact same thing to the waiter, have everything cleared away, any remembrance of her be swept off the face of the earth or something very dramatic like that and orders the big glass of vodka as well the entire restaurant also has stopped and is looking at this and it's just very interesting so it makes you think okay this guy has done this before so much so that he has a script for what exactly to say when this happens Not necessarily that he was planning for it to happen or he was pushing for it to happen, but when it does happen, he knows exactly how to handle it like it's happened many times before. A Groundhog's Day-esque scenario.
2: So in this particular instance, though, um, Rose invites him to dine with her at her table. So that is one maybe change to his script. He seems
0: harmless enough.
2: Right. So then we find out that his name is Perry and that he's a college professor and... Um, He kind of tells some of his story to her and she's just more a listening ear at this point than anything else. And, you know, I, I found this story, I, I should say there's, if there was one part of the, of the whole film that I, I wouldn't even say that it was grating. It just, it maybe felt a tad bit off to me. It was this scene where he just really? kind of, where he just kind of self-indulges a little bit about how you know, these young women come to his classes, and at first he's just this—he's this wise, wizened. He's a you know, professor
0: at NYU, by the way, right? Right. He's a okay. professor,
2: and and they are enamored with all that he knows, and he's kind of able to, you know, quote unquote, lure them in with his accreditations. And then after spending some time with him, they come to realize that he—he's you know old and a thing of the past, and they've heard it all before,
0: and. But don't you think he was being? Didn't he seem like he was being? authentic with her?
2: Well, I think that he is sincere in his little poor me soliloquy. It it doesn't play as necessarily um self-pitying, but it doesn't it doesn't gel with the way the other characters portray themselves and their interactions with one another. He stands out as sort of an alien in this Italian community right
0: I was going to say he's not Italian he is not he is not one of them
2: no I I think he's an interesting character and then you know what follows is a very interesting conversation he and Rose have essentially trying to answer the question why do men pursue
0: women I think they come to the agreement that men pursue women because of their fear of death yes whether that's true or not that's kind of what Rose is telling herself to explain why
2: Cosmo's doing what he's doing right right yeah, it's very much kind of a, a an explanation for her own mental state, I think. But it is an interesting conversation that she has with Perry. Um, you know, they leave the restaurant together and he walks her home. And I think he's trying to initiate kind of a further, you know, let's take this to the next level. And she very politely rebuffs him. Right, I mean... mean, But it's just a very awkward... There's just a few awkward pieces to that whole um, character and, and the way he interacts with Rose
0: that don't quite sit well with me. One of the things that I liked a lot about this interaction was that every other woman, at least these young women that he's meeting, are so taken by him in the beginning. And she sees his charm. I think we agree he attempts to seduce her. He wants to come up and get in bed with her. She says, I know who I am. She's not looking. She's not searching for who she is. And as soon as she finds out that he's a scam, then she'll stand up and throw water in his face. She knows he's a scam, but he's a diversion. He's helping her get through the night. So they share that moment, and that's all it is. And I just love that she knows who she is. I think that shows us the contrast between immaturity and maturity.
2: So meanwhile, sort of back... After the opera, Loretta and Ronnie are walking to his place as she kind of finds out once they get there. And he is then again sort of like desperately persuading her to go upstairs with him. And she's really holding fast. I think that she feels a sense of duty at this point to to Johnny um, and just maybe doesn't want to let herself go, let herself become emotionally entangled with with this man. But ultimately in the end, he does a... Really good job of giving her the hard sell.
0: Right. Well, I mean he's I mean, out he... there
2: like just playing every card that he has to get her to come
0: up. Well and it works too. I mean what he's saying makes sense. Well, Basically he's saying that life is messy.
2: Loretta, I love
1: you. Not not like they told you love is. And I didn't know this either. But love don't make things nice. It ruins everything. It breaks your heart. It makes things a mess. We-we aren't here to make things perfect. The snowflakes are perfect. The stars are perfect. Not us. Not us. We are here to ruin ourselves and-and to break our hearts and love the wrong people and-and die. I mean that the storybooks are bullshit! I want you to come upstairs with me and and get in my bed.
0: So while they're doing their thing, we catch up with Johnny, who, out of nowhere, is getting off a plane from Sicily.
2: Right, he's come back, I think, earlier than intended.
0: So he goes straight to Loretta's house, and she's not there, obviously, because she's with Ronnie.
2: Right, but he does run into Rose, and they have a... Exchange that's interesting, I think.
0: Well, and she asks him the same question she had just asked Perry an hour or two earlier. Why do men... Pursue women. Pursue women. And he gets it right off the bat. Fear of death. And she feels... Vindicated?
2: Justified?
0: Yeah, exactly. She just does. And so she thinks like, okay, I've got it figured out. I know why my husband is doing this to me. Um, or is doing this in our relationship and to the family. She then explains, "Hey, by the way, Loretta's not here."
2: Right. So she kind of gets what she wants out of him, and then sends him home. I think does Cosmo come home at some point in this whole exchange? Yeah, as well? and
0: he tells he tells him that he'll be looking out for him. There's right. a funny, there's a funny exchange where it's just like, uh, it got my eyes and ears open, and uh, and Johnny has no idea what he's talking about, and it's, I don't know, it's funny.
2: Right, right. But, it is. It's a good one. So, so they send Johnny on his merry way. Next morning,
0: Loretta walks home.
2: And she's pretty pleased with herself, I yeah, think. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? Right. I mean, I think she's kind of resolved at that point. Like, we see her actually happy. She's
0: still got cage sweat all over her. Of course she's happy.
2: <laughs> well, but I think we do see that she's a change. She's she's again sort of made a change in She's not running out the door. She's not trying to pretend like it didn't happen. She's resolved, resolved in kind of a decision sure. that she's probably made. She's most at peace that we since we that we've seen her the whole film.
0: I think you're right, and she she walks home. So they must not live too far away. But she walks home, and her mother is there in the kitchen, right at the table, you know, making breakfast. And uh, I I have to ask, okay, one thing I've never understood, the hickey. OK, like her mother points out that, hey, you have a, a love bite or something like that. And um, soon after, Ronnie shows up and he's got the same thing is I've, I think I've only seen and heard of hickeys in movies and TV shows, never in real life. Am I missing out on something? Is this a real thing or um, is it a construct of, of, of the media?
2: I think hickeys are real, but. I have not seen many hickeys in my day. I
0: don't I don't get
2: it. This might be an old school convention.
0: I mean, it's honest. like, I mean, I'm sorry not to not to devolve this, but it's like sucking on someone's neck until they bruise or something. Yeah, that's basically. I don't get that. And <laughs> I don't know if I'm missing out on something or not. It's just, it's weird. Anytime I hear or see of a hickey in a movie, like I call BS. I don't get it. It doesn't happen in real life. I think it's made up. All right, rant over.
2: So regardless, Loretta's got a hickey. Johnny's on his way over. Mom's giving her the high sign that she better cover that up.
0: Everyone starts funneling into the kitchen. Right. Everyone.
2: This might be one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I love the where it takes place. you got to start the heart of the home. Every key character is present, right? I mean, everyone is there kind of witnessing this sort of culmination in will they, won't they. Um, it, it's tender, Um, there's a really amazing scene that we'll talk about in a moment between Cosmo and Rose Mm -hmm. that's extremely powerful but it's also very understated I really appreciate that I mean it's not even scored that particular point in the movie there's no music it's a whole group of people and two characters having this intensive tender hard moment it's really moving well why
0: don't we talk about it I mean they're all kind of there at this point it's Uh, loretta and ronnie and grandpa and the two of them and i think she asks him am i a good wife to you
2: well right so the whole family is gathered ronnie has shown up everyone sort of deduced what's happened with loretta and ronnie and now everyone is tensely eating oatmeal and waiting for johnny to show so that it it, and to see well what exactly is going to happen So it it is, it's a fun scene and everyone's there having breakfast and Ronnie just kind of slides right in. Like he's a member of the family, even though this is the first time he's met any of these people, Um, which again, I like, I like the sense of, of familial closeness that you can have just because there's a shared sort of, you know, undercurrent of history and tradition there. I really, really like that. So yes, they're sitting at the table and uh, Cosmo's tense because his daughter's there, and she knows, and and it's uh, you know a tense moment anyway because they're waiting for Johnny, and yeah, then uh, Rose and Cosmo have this exchange wherein she basically calls him out by saying, "Have I been a good wife to you?" Right. And he has to admit that that she has that he's been she's been the best wife or and, something to yeah. that effect. And
0: then she says, "It's over.
2: You have to stop seeing right. her." It's a very short, unemotional scene, but it is packed with layer upon layer of of nuance
0: well i think he stands up slams the table with his hand and then sits back down
2: and concedes yeah and says okay mm-hmm. and that's all that it is
0: but it's powerful it's, it's a very moving scene exactly i mean i've i can say i i understand i mean what he's going through and i mean i've never been in that situation myself but you You go from uh, having the secret to feeling very, you know, conflicted about it to being found out and being open and it's embarrassing and you know you can't say anything. You know you can't defend yourself so you just lash out one last time and then concede because he knows that she's right. He knows that a a great wife is the best gift a man can ever have in his entire life and, and it's not something he can argue anymore. And so I believe, you know, we don't see what happens going forward in the film, but I believe he does call it off
2: right, right. I'm mostly taken with Olympia Dukakis in this moment. Right. It's, it, it's an extremely quiet scene, but it's just one of my favorite performances of her in this film. It's it's
0: and she's in her pajamas, by the way,
2: oh, I know. I mean, the whole thing is just it it's it's if you're not crying, you're laughing sort of a thing, but it's so well done. She is so poignant in the way that she portrays this character at this very, you know, potentially devastating encounter with her husband. She is just rock solid and right. it's incredible.
0: Well, and right after this, uncle and aunt walk in very somberly and see Loretta. And they, you know, kind of say, do you have something to tell us? That that kind of tone, because it turns out in all of her haste, Loretta had failed to make the deposit of the, the cash from the from the day before.
2: Right. She had collected it from them at their shop, hadn't taken it to the bank.
0: She explains it. Everyone's relieved. Oh ha ha ha. So then they sit down right at the at the table and they start eating oatmeal too.
2: So now we've kind of got everybody's there. Everybody's meeting Ronnie. Everybody's eating oatmeal and the clock's ticking and we're all just waiting for Johnny to walk in. Which he does. Which he does. And I love the way this scene gets built. It gets built with one or two characters at a time. Mm -hmm. And the characters that come in have their thing that they need to do, right? I mean- Loretta comes in and she has her exchange with her mom. And then Ronnie comes in and he has his, you know, moment with right. Loretta. And then Cosmo comes in and, and, uh, Rose and Cosmo have their, you know, they resolve their issue and everyone's sort of coming in and cleaning house and taking care of their business. And then finally we get to the main event.
0: Johnny who comes. I
2: just love the layering yeah, it's of, great. of how it all, and it's all taking place in one room. It's, it's such a well crafted
0: mm-hmm. scene. And, and there's a few interpersonal relationships that Johnny needs to work out. One, he probably hasn't seen his brother in five years right. or so. They talk and kind of work out some of their differences.
2: Right. Well, quickly, you know, I think both of them are tense and and neither knows why. Johnny's tense at seeing Ronnie. He Ronnie's, does
0: accuse him of being a bad son.
2: Right. Ronnie is tense because he's stealing, basically stealing his woman. Stealing his woman. Exactly. So, um. Uh, that's excellent. And then, of course, we kind of get to the big final Loretta and Johnny. And
0: Johnny has to break off the engagement because his mom is better.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: And again, got some, married... again, some
2: some initi- some insertion of, I think, folklore into exactly. this picture. Yeah, it exactly. Doesn't make any
0: sense. He was going to get married because his mom was dying, sort of. Right. And now that his mom is living, if he got married, then that would kill her again
2: something to that
0: effect maybe yeah there's
2: definitely a a healthy dose of tradition and myth and and superstition right it brings it all
0: the way back around to that bad luck idea it's
2: marvelous exactly wonderful he's
0: well and he's missing out on something really great in Cher in Loretta because of superstition and and what he would consider be bad luck and Ronnie doesn't give a crap about that
2: right well and it's interesting too johnny is never once that we have seen moonstruck he is never no. afflicted by the moon he is never participating in any of the encounters with it or conversations well, he's about not a it.
0: passionate person
2: he's not a wolf i mean he's completely removed from this
0: he's a baby sheep
2: from this you know this picture which he's is interesting.
0: Chihuahua. exactly
2: so and- you'd think that loretta would be like Relieved and overjoyed that Johnny's calling it off. No, she, she yells at him. Yeah, she 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 calls him she calls him out on not making good on his promise to her, which is just hilarious because
0: she should be exactly what she wants. She's
2: got a good solid Plan B standing like, by. Rips the
0: ring off her finger and throws it back at him. Falls on the floor. Right. And so Ronnie stands up and says, hey, can I borrow that?
2: Right. So, so essentially she gets the same ring put on her finger by a different brother.
0: Is this where Rose asks Loretta if she loves him?
2: Yeah. And it's a great line. Rose turns to her daughter and says, do you love him? And Loretta says, Ma, I love him something awful. And it's it's just excellent.
0: Yeah, and you could tell her mom is, you know, happy and sad for her at the same time. Right. Something right. to that effect. And, and one thing I noticed, Ronnie did not get down on his knee, but Loretta did not ask him to either, in a in, in a very in a very um, strong juxtaposition from the scene at the beginning of the movie.
2: Right. The the brothers are very much a foil for one another, which I find really interesting.
0: I want to be after this movie an official Italian because it's breakfast time uh, and it's it's as crazy as a of a soap opera kind of you know scenario as you could ever possibly get They bust out the champagne
2: and Johnny's even included he's part of the family the grandpa with his five dogs brings him in
0: yeah exactly and
2: everyone ends you know it's kind of a happily ever after type of an ending you know everyone ends celebrating together taking pictures
0: And that's the end of the movie
2: Well it's not quite. The final scene of the movie is not a portrait of this happy family although it is in fact a happy family. The camera actually pulls out of the kitchen and takes us through into I think it's the sitting room mm-hmm. and the the final shot that we get is of the patriarchal couple who probably established this particular family in Brooklyn their photograph.
0: Right, must be um someone's parents or great or grandparents even, right. you know.
2: And that's where we end. We end with sort of a a resolution for everybody involved, but but we end with this idea of of roots, really, of beginnings, which it does tie, again, together this idea of values and traditions and family um, all up in a nice, neat package. Yeah,
0: I think that ultimately that's what this movie is about. It's about a lot of things. It's about love and passion and... Um, it's about New York in a way. I mean, the city is an ever-present, especially Brooklyn is an ever-present um, part of the story. But really it's about family and the ties that bind us together in that way and the love that we have for each other. And it's showing us that we can be at odds and still love each other, right? right. As opposed to Johnny and Ronnie not talking, we don't have to do that. We can be a crazy, ugly mess and accept each other for what we are and to love each other no matter what. And that that continues. This is the human condition. You know, just like old men can be affected by the moon and young men can be affected by the moon. Um, We don't know the story of this old couple in this photo at the end, but I bet it's something similar. I bet it's just as fiery and passionate and exciting as what we've just seen. And it just this is what family is and this is what life is. It continues. It, yeah, we like to think that that technology marches on and we're very different, but in, in reality, it's all happened before and it's all going to happen again and we're just a part of kind of this human tradition marching on. I think it's great. It is wonderful.
2: Yeah, I would agree. It, it was a lot of fun to watch. I have to admit, I stopped taking notes about a third of the way through because I just got so sucked into the story and into the characters. Um, it, it's... A movie that's incredibly enjoyable to watch and to just experience so what a good one excellent really really fun movie it was
0: super fun it really was we'll be right back with our ratings uh first another song off the moonstruck soundtrack this is it must be him by vicky carr
3: i tell myself what's done is done i tell myself don't be a fool Play the field, have a lot of fun. It's easy when you play it cool. I tell myself, don't be a chump. Who cares? Let him stay away. That's when the phone rings, and I jump. And as I grab the phone, I pray.
2: Well, welcome back we've just wrapped up our extensive review
0: of moonstruck moonstruck
2: big thumbs up from from this crowd i would say well,
0: don't don't give it away let's just let's just get straight to All it right.
2: thumbs wavering it could go perilously either way. In right air. in the in the abyss okay
0: um let's see okay so let's just do it this film as entertainment from zero to four stars brit what do you give moonstruck
2: You know, I found it to be extremely entertaining. Uh, It was really funny. It was not um, vapid or cheesy. There wasn't... I don't feel like they relied on a lot of, you know, ploys like physical comedy or crude jokes or uh, stereotypes. I mean, even this just nature of an Italian community and how it was portrayed felt very authentic and not something that was really being poked fun at. I really, really enjoyed this movie, I'm going to give it a three. I thought it was just a lot of fun to watch.
0: I as well give it a three. It was great. Excellent. All right. So, artistically, as a film, what would you rate this?
2: I think that we've covered a lot of really interesting thematic motifs and, and ideas that the film was trying to communicate. It's not a film that has a lot of really creative ways of shooting. You don't have a lot of... It's no Wes Anderson, right? Every scene is perfectly established and shot and uh, framed. I mean, certainly some thought went into that. But but in terms of storytelling and the way that the director and the writers were able to weave so much into what would otherwise be a very straightforward story, I, I really appreciate that. I'm going to go with uh, two and a half.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go... It's funny. I'm going to go with two and a half as well. I thought it was good i thought the direction was great i thought he got a lot out of his actors obviously there wasn't a lot of creative flourish to it obviously there were some special effects with the moon the score was great um camera work was fine it wasn't flashy it didn't draw a lot of attention to itself this really was a kind of a character and a dialogue uh, heavy movie you know the scenes of the in the opera were great too and the stage setting so everything was very well done better than average but not a not a three or four in my opinion it it was a great movie but there's a reason it didn't win best director or best picture because it wasn't that
2: right right
0: i would agree all right now nick cage obviously he was a supporting actor in this movie and that's going to be changing i don't think we're going to get him as a supporting actor very much more now he was in peggy Sue got married he is in this as well What would you rate his acting in this movie?
2: You know, I really enjoyed him. I thought that he was definitely playing a loud, passionate, big character, but he didn't do it in a way that felt phony or phoned in by any means. I really appreciated the effort that he gave. I'm going to probably give him a three,
0: Well, we're right on the same page on this movie. I give him a three as well. I think he has the hardest job in this entire movie. Everyone else kind of has their role, and it's pretty well defined. He's the wild card. We don't know exactly what to expect from this guy and honestly from scene to scene i don't exactly know what i'm gonna get from him you know you could say okay he's gonna he acted this way in this scene but the next uh, scene he's gonna fly off the handle of the opera or something like that if you had told me that i would believe you because he is the wild card everyone else is kind of playing their role and doing it very well he is different. He is special. And I think that's very intentional. And I think he does a great job. I know that the studio didn't want him in this role at first. They thought he was too young and too manic and too crazy or too tortured or whatever. But Cher insisted. Cher actually got him in the movie. And what a great choice! It's the the role that really put him on the map in the minds of the American people. I'm so glad he had this role, and I think he just I think he nailed it. In my mind, it's not one of the top two or three best performances he ever gave, but everything he needed to do, he did. It's a very solid performance, and I gave it a three.
2: So what does that bring our total to, Nate? If
0: I did my quick math right, and I believe that brings us up to a 17 out of 24, which is actually. Pretty high up there for right. what we've it, seen so far.
2: It does not unseat Raising Arizona, but it's a nice,
0: solid second. Yeah, I think that had a, a 19. Second. Yeah, I think I think 17 is, is really high up there. I think that kind of 15 to 17 categories is, is kind of what we're going to be seeing here as we keep going forward in these movies, for a while at least. And then I think we might... Uh...
2: The tables might turn. Yeah. Well, the last part of our Moonstruck review, as always, is our patented, our newly patented CageCast Running Totals Rapid Fire Questionnaire. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. In the 1987 movie Moonstruck, was Nicolas Cage a lady killer?
0: Yes. And perhaps the ladiest of lady killers that we have ever seen. <laughs> the killeriest of lady killers, I mean to say, <laughs> yeah. that we have ever seen. Man, he's he's got it going on. Was he drunk or high? You know, I don't think he ever was drunk or high. Not high. And I don't even know if we see him... Wait, at the table, is he drunk?
2: I don't think he's drunk. They both have modest glasses of whiskey.
0: Okay, so no.
2: No drinking, or highness. Does he have crazy hair?
0: Now, I'm going to say no. Because he has great hair at the opera, and he has disheveled hair down like in the basement, you know. In the ovens. In the ovens, in the quarry, I don't know. (laughs) But that's just a symptom of him doing his job, not because he's insane.
2: Does he have a crazy voice, accent, or inflection?
0: Definitely not. He has a normal, appropriate accent.
2: Does he have cage rage?
0: Now I don't think so. This is a
2: this is a tough one. He
0: has a moment of passion, right? and it's eccentric, but we've seen Cage Rage, and this is not it. Cage Rage, it's like um, how they define pornography. I, I can't define it, but when I see it, I know it. I cannot tell you where the line is with Cage Rage, but it's obvious when it's there.
2: All right, okay, it's a no. Does he punch or get punched?
0: Don't think so, No. Nope. And
2: does he run with a flashlight?
0: Still no running with a flashlight, no. We will will see it.
2: Yes, I am convinced. All right, well, that just about wraps up our Moonstruck review. Yes, it's a great one.
0: I think we did, I think this is our best ever.
2: Wow, our best ever review.
0: Yeah, we did great. (laughs) We
2: did. Yeah, we did
0: amazing. We
2: are right up there with Nicolas Cage and Cher.
0: Better. Wow. All right. Okay. Please leave your feedback. Send me, us, an email. Please go to iTunes and leave us good reviews. I'm not begging. I'm just asking very, very nicely.
2: All right. Well, our next movie will be 1988's Vampire's Kiss, directed by Robert Bierman.
0: And I cannot wait.
2: Yes. we've. There's a lot of buzz around this movie for us personally, so we're excited. This one's featuring Jennifer Beals, Maria Alonzo, and, of course,
0: Nicolas Cage.
2: Nicolas Cage. Have you seen Vampire's Kiss? What do you remember about it? And what do you remember about Nicolas Cage in the movie? Let us know. Give us a heads up. But don't spoil
0: it. Also, we may have a special guest for that episode. So stay tuned for that.
2: Yes, should be exciting.
0: Again, send us an mp3 of your review and we'll get you on the air. Or, again, we have this number now. 30... 08 KJOK. <laughs> That's, I can't even say it. That's 330 822 4365. Leave us a voicemail and we will put your review in as a part of the show next week.
2: Uh, music this week can all be found on the Moonstruck soundtrack. And our theme song was written by Chris Cornell and Soundgarden and performed by Johnny Cash.
0: We'll be back next week. But until then, we leave you with reflections on the moon good night bye everybody
2: bye
1: i never told you this of course it's not really a story but one time i woke up in the middle of the night because of this bright light in my face like a flashlight i couldn't think of what it was i looked out the window and it was the moon as big as a house i never seen the moon so big before or since I was almost scared, like I was gonna crush the house. And I looked down, and standing there in the street was Cosmo, looking up at the windows. This is the funny part. <laughs> I got mad at you, Cosmo. I thought you had brought that big moon over to my house. Cause you were so in love you woke me up with it. I was <laughs> half asleep, I guess. I didn't know anything. You were off the gutter asleep.
3: You were dreaming.
2: Well, we're gonna mix it up. Okay. Who knows what sounds are gonna come out of my mouth? Hey,
0: hey, hey. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <laughs> the mind can only can only guess. Uh, go ahead. Which put which puts it squarely in the first. Which. <clears throat>
2: What's wrong what I with you tonight? Good grief!
0: Know.
2: Unique New York. Unique New York.
0: Unique New York. New. Unique you New can't York. Even do that. You, un- unique.
2: you do not have a voice for the silver screen. That's
0: right. Unique New York. Moonstruck was released in December of 1987, while Mr. Cage was still 23 years old, a young buck.
2: What? What? Do you, there's what? Keep going.
0: Oh, uh, sometimes you have witty.
2: Uh, yeah,
0: sometimes you you color it up a little bit. Hold on. All right,
2: I'll try. Young buck didn't strike me the way that. A others... young buck, <laughs>
0: Hold on. a young buck caught in the headlights of the Hollywood.
2: Save me, Bambi.
0: Um, you know, semi-truck. Nope,
2: don't do it. Just, just go <laughs> back to just to start again. All right. This is going nowhere.
0: Thank you. Um, stands up, throws the. <laughs> yeah, these, these, these sheets have crayon on them. I will get my fur. I would, dig, I would dig a hovel. Keep going. Come on, dude. No, he's gonna. It's, it's gonna. Like if he well, shakes, <laughs> he's laying down now. No, he's not. Stubbs, do something else. Look here. Our... Let me take your collar off. <laughs> Alright, go do something else. Every. It's not radio either, it's podcast.
2: Or- you know what? I'm gonna call it what I want because I'm old timey like that. Radioland. There you go, listeners. Pick a side. Choose your loyalties now. <coughs> Alright, as a reminder. <laughs>
0: That's where I do the, my work. I just cut out all of that. <laughs>
2: Why? That's funny. No. It is. No. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm clever. Just
0: read the lines, woman.
2: I'm clever. And you are jealous because I'm a fine I'm line so...
0: between clever and stupid.
2: <gasps> How dare you, sir?